if you look at 2016, one of the disappointing thing was millennials did not vote. They talked a lot, they marched a lot, but they really did not vote. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. It's finally coming to an end, at least for now. The president announcing a deal to end the shutdown Friday. That news coming on a wild day in Washington and across the country. A number of flight delays Friday because of the shutdown and because of a shortage of federal employees. That same day, new developments in the Mueller probe as Trump associate Roger Stone is arrested and indicted for lying to the House Intelligence Committee. The president did not take questions on that topic Friday afternoon, but did talk about this deal to reopen the government temporarily, with a lot of questions now about what the president really got out of this deal and whether we could be back here again three weeks from now. I am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government. In a short while, I will sign a bill to open our government for three weeks. Hopefully, it means a lesson has been learned. Shutting down government over a policy difference is self-defeating. Meantime, these were some of the polling numbers the White House has no doubt been grappling with. This poll from CBS News showing that 66 percent of voters wanted the president to agree to a budget without funding for the wall. Just 31 percent wanted him to refuse a budget deal unless it had that funding. Smaller numbers of voters wanted Democrats to give in. And then there's this question. Is the border wall worth a government shutdown? You see the number right there. 71 percent of voters saying it's not worth it. So today we're looking back at another wild week in this shutdown showdown as Indiana lawmakers addressed some of the developments day by day. Despite uh, all the naysayers, uh, occasionally you're able to accomplish miracles together. So my hope is that Republicans and Democrats during this time can come together, do what's right for the country, uh, secure the border, and fund the government at the same time. Folks need to eat. Folks need to pay their mortgages. Folks need to send their kids to school. You know, building a 2000 uh, a mile wall is a vanity project. Uh, President Trump knows that we have technology that can do the same job. Hiring more border pro uh, protection agents will do the job, but to build a wall is a vanity project. We're at a point where people are really frustrated with both sides saying, make a deal, let's go. I am too, um, and you kind of hurry up, you get there, and mm -hmm. these votes uh, go pretty quickly, and then you're back at kind of uh, where you started. but. I did a no budget, no pay bill. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard about that. I was going to ask you about that next. That means you can never use a government shutdown mm -hmm. as kind of a hostage for some type of policy point of view, mm -hmm. regardless of what side of the policy point of view you're on. So that's actually getting a lot of traction. And what that would mean is that by the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, you don't have a budget in place, no one there gets a paycheck, and you don't get any retroactive pay. We need to start getting that done annually, like everybody else does. You wouldn't have this situation. Structure, according to the Border Patrol, is needed. Mm -hmm. Barrier in places to make their job easier. So we're at the point where it's going to hustle up. But I think what it's indicating is that the process is starting to move a little bit. Uh, the sailmate may be thawing. Friday, both Senator Braun and Senator Young issuing statements in support of the deal. Braun saying he supports the legislation to reopen the government while working with the president on border security. Senator Young calling the announcement an encouraging step forward. 
Well, Congressman Carson says he's grateful the government will reopen, but says, hey, the deal's only for three weeks. We know it will take longer for people to recover. Much more to come later this morning right here and on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. Also today, talking about the 2020 presidential campaign and the Indiana Democrat now jumping into the race. South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg taking the initial step this week of forming an exploratory committee. Our Matt Smith has more. Mayor, um, for folks who may just be learning about you and watching, what's the best way to pronounce your last name? (laughs) Buttigieg, but uh, around South Bend they just call me Mayor Pete and that's fine with me. In perhaps a nod to his generation and campaign, Pete Buttigieg first made the announcement online. I'm Pete Buttigieg, I'm the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. In a pre-produced video announcing he's entering the presidential primary, Buttigieg is considered a long shot, an openly gay veteran of the Afghanistan war, a small-town mayor who paints himself as a young Midwesterner who can take on President Trump. That I think people need to know about South Bend's story is that we didn't change our trajectory because I went around saying things like, I alone can fix it, or we're going to make our city great again. what we did was we faced reality. For Pete Buttigieg, being a millennial is very much part of his identity, very much part of his candidacy. Adam Wren recently profiled Buttigieg for Indianapolis Monthly and is also a contributing editor to Politico and a panelist on In Focus. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people in Indiana who know him as sort of a pragmatic mayor, as someone who's much more of a progressive than they imagined him to be. Uh, This is someone who talks about issues like the universal basic income, uh, providing a a basic income to, to all workers across the United States. The challenges for Buttigieg are immense, from small town mayor to potential president, from money to simple name recognition. There are a lot of people in Indiana who voted for Barack Obama and Mike Pence and Donald Trump and me. All right, meantime, this statement from the RNC this past week, they say, quote, before Buttigieg wastes time on a presidential campaign, he should focus on his town's potholes and crime rate, saying his bid is, quote, more proof Democrats are about to endure the most crowded, divisive, contentious primary in history. Buttigieg still fairly unknown even here in Indiana. A poll last October showed 46, excuse me, 66 percent of Indiana voters had never heard of him. Now, perhaps they will. All right, coming up, we'll talk more about the mayor's one for president going up against some pretty big names in politics. Does he have a chance in a very crowded field? And finally, a deal in Washington. But what will be the long-lasting impact of the government shutdown? We talk with our panel up next. All right, time to bring in our panel now. Tony Samuel was vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign in 2016. Christina Hale was a former state lawmaker and was on the Democratic ticket for lieutenant governor. Republican Mike Murphy also served in the General Assembly. And Jennifer Wagner, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats. All right, Jennifer, where are we now after five weeks of this shutdown and the chance it could all happen again here three weeks from now? Who knows? Um, Thankfully, after these five weeks, uh, the government is reopened for three weeks. We could be right back here on February 15th. What have we learned? The good news is that these folks get to go back to their jobs, they get their paychecks, the government reopens, we don't have these long lines and the fear of security issues at airports. But, you know, and also I should add that Nancy Pelosi definitely won a victory against Donald Trump, but we could be right back here in this same spot in three weeks, and who knows? We'll see what happens. Tony, I'll go to you next. We showed those polling numbers earlier. Is the president losing this fight? Did he cave in here, as some have suggested? I don't think so. The president's playing the long game. So I think in the end, he's going to get that border wall, the barrier, whatever you want to call it. But he's looking at also the pressure from 
from the media, uh, not that he caved in any way, but he didn't want to see the federal employees losing another paycheck. Well, and obviously so, Friday, a lot of things happened, right? You had all the air delays, you, you had the news about Roger Stone as well. That pressure also sort of tightened things around the president, perhaps? Sure. I think he did the right thing. Now, you fix those problems, you work for three weeks, you, the public has now seen that Nancy Pelosi, all she's got is no, no, no. The president's the one that's been offering compromise. He's doing the right thing here. Like I said, he's looking for the, the, the long game. And, and just in this uh, period of the, sh of the shutdown, you had the public focused on this issue like never before. And they've seen in the Yuma sector 100 uh, illegal aliens uh, climbing the fence and getting caught, hundreds of families tunneling under in Arizona. You've seen 14,000 illegal immigrants arrested by border control, 14,000 pounds of, of, uh, of marijuana confiscated, 800 pounds of cocaine confiscated just in the last 30-some days. Well, no doubt this, you'll continue uh, to hear the president down. make that uh, case, uh, perhaps in a State of the Union address here uh, in the coming days. We'll see. You mentioned Speaker Pelosi. Uh, what about the House Speaker? There were some in the Democratic Party who wanted a new Speaker, and, and now many Democrats rallying around her and, and what they perceive as a victory here. That's right. Well, Speaker Pelosi sure does know how to count her votes, and she is a fierce, accomplished politician. I think many people on both sides of the aisle were really entertained by some of the poison pen pal activity going on this past week. Um, it's kind of like dueling pianos, you know. Um, but really, I think she's coming off looking like a strong, competitive winner. Mike, what's your take on all this? Well, there's no doubt that Trump blinked, but I actually give him credit for blinking because he finally listened to somebody in the White House who was advising him it's not worth it. You know, as you said, the planes were stacking up. The IRS tried to recall 46,000 employees this week. Only half of them showed up to do their job. And so I think I'll give the president credit for blinking in this case. The person I'm really impressed with is McConnell. He went on TV after the president today and said, listen, I was not going to let the U.S. Senate be used for show votes or for tit-for-tat messaging back and forth between the two sides. And I thought that showed a lot of maturity on McConnell's part. Well, before that Senate vote Thursday, uh, The Hill reports that some Republican senators kind of read Vice President Pence uh, the Riot Act. Perhaps Vice President Pence or, or Mitch McConnell, as you mentioned, uh, going to the president, trying to talk him off of his uh, position. Uh, apparently, some Republicans warning the VP that prolonging the shutdown wouldn't be smart political strategy in hopes of uh, sending a message to President Trump. Reportedly, lawmakers told Pence the shutdown needs to come to an end. This is not a strategy that works. We never should have had a shutdown in the first place. Do you think the vice president played an influential role here behind the scenes? Maybe so, I'm sure. Uh, and, and the good thing about that discussion or the lunch luncheon was that they can they can have that kind of debate and 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 get results out of it doesn't seem to work that way on the democrat side so when we be back here as we mentioned three weeks from now will we just continue to see this same fight could we see potentially a call for the president declaring a national emergency i think we could see that very well but i also think i mean look when you've got Republicans telling other Republicans that they're not doing the right thing, Tony, no offense, but um, that's not a Democratic problem, that's a Republican problem. When you've got 70% of Americans saying that they didn't want to shut, to shut down the government for the wall, that's not 
no offense, Mike, that's not Donald Trump listening to his better angels. That's Donald Trump reading the polls and understanding that his reputation was on the line. He didn't do the right thing. He did the popular thing. And maybe, just maybe, this is a sign that he's going to start listening to people. And you also, as we mentioned, had some pretty significant news Friday on the Mueller probe and Roger Stone's arrest. Well, you know, Roger Stone is Roger Stone. Somebody said this morning that the only thing worse than him being arrested live on national TV was not being arrested on live on national TV because he craves the attention so much. And so he's going to do his thing. I thought the timing of the announcement this afternoon from Trump was interesting. Friday because Friday, uh, Friday right. I'm sorry, Friday, because it took Roger Stone, believe it or not, off the off front the page there for a minute. You're right. After 1 yep. o'clock in the afternoon. And Trump is a master at doing that. And Roger was sinking like a stone. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. That's material for the podcast right there, right? sitting next to right? Mike. What All do you right. expect? Let's talk about 2020 now and the Indiana Democrat taking big steps toward a run for president this past week. South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg forming an exploratory committee getting a lot of national attention, too. The field of potential Democratic presidential candidates is getting crowded. You can now add South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg to that growing list. South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Including new overnight, South Bend, Indiana, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's announced his uh, candidacy. All right, so uh, two out of three there, <laughs> not bad with the pronunciation, but you saw the polling numbers earlier. He's, he's not well known, right? He's, he's a mayor of a small, uh, mid-sized, Midwestern city. Does he have any chance here? Of course he has a chance. Anybody has a chance. He'd have been a great DNC chair. He's been a great mayor up in South Bend. He'd make a great president. Now, does he have a lot of obstacles to overcome? Absolutely. But he is a stark contrast to the current field of Democratic candidates and the expected field of Democratic candidates, and I think he'll do great. Mike, what's your Some wise pundit said during 2016, the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats is the Democrats fall in love with their nominee and Republicans fall in line with their nominee. And it really depends, I think, on whether Buttigieg can make the case that Americans should fall in love with him. It is an incredibly crowded field already. We're about six months from the first debate, a year from the Iowa caucus. The latest poll from Morning Consult and Politico is two candidates on top who've not made a decision yet, former VP Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders, followed by two senators who have jumped into the race. Senator Kamala Harris, third in this latest poll at 9%. Senator Elizabeth Warren in fourth. She's tied at 6%. Uh, with uh, Beto O'Rourke, who's not yet announced. Same with Senator Cory Booker at 4%. Number of candidates there at 2%, including uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Julian Castro, who have already joined the race. That's, that's a lot of candidates there. That's not nearly the entire list. Uh, where does someone like Buttigieg fit in here? Well, I'll tell you, you know, in 2016, we had two stages worth of Republican candidates debating, and we got somebody nobody thought had a chance, a reality star, who ultimately was elected president. That's not nearly as far-fetched as an earnest road Scholar veteran who knows how to build an administration from good old wholesome South Bend, Indiana. So who's the Trump campaign most concerned about? Would it be someone like Buttigieg, who's a dark horse now? Uh, none of them. The, the great thing about this is, and I'm glad he's in the race, I don't think he's got much of a chance. People can't pronounce his name. People in Indiana don't even know him. But the more the merrier for me. If there, if there were 16 or 17 on the Republican side in 2016, there's at least double that here. And the funny thing is about, about all these young progressives, the two guys in the lead are in their 80s. Biden and Bernie Sanders. So that's, uh, that bodes well for President Trump. We'll see if that lead uh, lasts as we move into the cycle. Uh, let's talk about some of the issues making news at the State House this week. The House passing a new policy for state lawmakers as it relates to sexual harassment. That policy also passed the State Senate as well. 
This week, the House also passed the bill making the state superintendent position appointed in 2021, a few years earlier than planned. Still a lot of talk about legislation dealing with teacher pay and also hate crimes, a topic Speaker Bosma discussed this past week with Tea Party conservatives. I did meet with a group of conservatives, Tea Party folks, uh, Tuesday and explain why I thought uh, Representative Sturwald's bill was a prudent uh, move and, you know, they, they listened and weren't upset about it and had some differing viewpoint, but certainly understood mine. So there'll be a lot of dialogue. Uh, my goal is still to pass a bill. A lot of developments at the State House as some of these bills are uh, discussed behind closed doors and especially a lot of tension on that, on that hate crime topic. There is, uh, I want to congratulate Speaker Bosma on winning the Masters. That jacket was phenomenal that he had on in that clip. <laughs> I thought um, that was from the Lucky Charms leprechaun. Oh boy, wow. Obviously, this is in fashion, not in <laughs> focus so. this week. Right. Um, no, I think uh, it's still really early in the session. Yeah. I'm heartened by the sexual harassment bill moving forward, but I think there's a lot yet to be determined. What stands out to you guys? The bill that stands out to me this week is the one that's moving through that requires high school sophomores to pass a civics test. And I snarkily said on Twitter this week, should we include legislators, make them oh, pass go. a civics test before they can file for re-election next year. Perhaps, right? That's, that, right? that's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, I will say about the sexual harassment bill, how disappointing is it that it's 2019 and we are just now forbidding legislators from having intercourse with interns? Should we have not taken care of this during the Clinton administration? Perhaps it's been more than 20 years. This, as uh, Dr. Jennifer Drobak said from IUPUI's McKinney School of Law, you know, it's kind of an 80s written policy. It's better than nothing, but it's not much. I will say two things I've always said. In the legislature, you cannot uh, legislate morality and you cannot outlaw stupidity. No matter what the law says, human nature is still going to prevail and there's still going to be problems. Now a new policy uh, in place. We're going to leave it there to talk more on the podcast coming up next this Sunday in Focus. Talking about the issue of abortion and the new effort at the State House to potentially make it illegal in some cases. You'll hear from advocates on both sides coming up after the break. True reproductive freedom, a reality for all Hoosiers. People on both sides of the abortion debate gathered at the State House this past week to mark the 46th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. A lot of talk about abortion policy this year with a newly configured Supreme Court and some legislation at the state level that could ban abortion altogether in some cases. This week we spoke with advocates on both sides of the issue. We, we always hear the terms pro-life, pro-choice. That's really common language. Um, but what we're increasingly seeing is when you ask people on either side of that label what they really think about abortion, it's complicated. Um, people have really complex thinking when it comes to the decision to end a pregnancy. Um, and we really need to move away from that pro-life, pro-choice language and instead uh, really uh, focus on the fact that people should have the right to make decisions in consulta- consultation with their doctor, their family, and their faith. So this year sees a pattern that has uh, been in effect really since 2011, um, where anti-abortion lawmakers introduce bills um, that are an affront to Roe and perhaps unconstitutional. There's momentum within the pro-life movement. So the pro-life movement is growing across the country. There's added pressure on state legislators particularly, but also nationally, to undo the wrong that was done in Roe versus Wade. So we come here every year gathering. Um, we, you know, we, we join our voices with those that marched this weekend in Washington, D.C. to uh, to call for a, a renewed justice and, and for our ability to um, have, have justice and protect the lives of the innocent. All right, and of course, speaking of uh, the March for Life rally last weekend, there was a lot of talk, of course, about this moment that went uh, viral 
quickly last weekend on social media involving students from a Catholic high school near Cincinnati. The American Indian Movement of Indiana and Kentucky took part in a protest at the school this past week. A lot of people have also defended the students after new video emerged, raising more questions about how it all got started. The president among those defending the students this week. A lot of conflict here, a lot of context that's needed. It's really the the kind of story that, again, has a lot of political overtones, a lot of people seeing uh, different things depending on, on your perspective. And you do see different things, and I've seen different versions, but I think what we have to remember that these are high school students, they're teenagers, in a difficult situation, never expecting that national media might be there with a camera in their face, you know, with all of their friends around them. It's a complex time of life, and um, I think, too, to be forgiving um, at this time is, is important when we go through these kinds of political situations and debates. Should the president invite them to the White House? There was some talk about that possibly. Absolutely. They didn't do anything wrong, Nick Sandman, the, the, the kid who was there in front of the, of, uh, the, the gentleman uh, playing his drums and chanting. Uh, had a smile on his face. He didn't know how to react. He was surprised by the whole thing. He didn't do anything aggressive, no gestures. The other folks were the kids, they're 15, 16-year-old kids, laughing a little bit, but nothing uh, unruly, nothing that was reported. They were actually the victims of abuse from a, a hate group before that, and the media is out of control on this. I also commend them for wearing their Make America Great hats. In the first place, so many people are now looking at that and calling that a symbol of racism. It's not, I've got them. You, I mean, I'm not a racist. You guys know that. And, and I'm offended by that, really. Something we may talk about more on our podcast. A lot of different perspectives, as we were saying. We'll be back right after this to wrap things up. Scrum. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, you're up first. Well, my son Noah turns 10 tomorrow, and uh, Star Derry from uh, uh, CBS4 yeah. was at Traders Point Christian Academy, his school, and talked to his fourth grade class along with some Indy Fuel players. We watched that uh, Friday nice. morning. Nice. Hope he has a great yes. birthday. Thank you. Christina. Uh, Roger Stone, guilty, innocent, whatever you think about him. He's got a big old tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back, which at this point in his life might not be looking too great. Mm, there you go. Yeah. I'd say two losers. First of all, Wilbur Ross for his horribly insensitive comments about federal employees. And secondly, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo for signing a bill that allows abortion right up to the final minute before birth. Get the last word. I've only got a loser today, which is journalism, both locally and nationally, with layoffs at BuzzFeed, the Indianapolis Star, and other television stations here. And our friend Tim Swearens lost yeah. his job, and that's a real shame. We hope to see him again here soon. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, uh, wrapping things up with our panel after the show, we're going to do kind of a lightning round podcast. Three weeks uh, from today, what happens? I think we're back in a shutdown. I really do. I'm not sure we're going to get anywhere in this interim period. I'm not sure that, I, I know the Democrats are not going to give in on, on wall funding, so I think we're right back in the same situation, which is a real shame for federal workers. Shutdown or national emergency? Which way do we go here? I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll be, I think the government will be open, and I think they'll have a solution because both Pelosi and Trump realize they can't get to the same point again or they're both major losers. Who won this round? Uh, I think um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi won this round, but I do think the government will be open again in three weeks. Um, there's just too much to lose and too much at stake, particularly when it comes to public safety and flying and uh, people are beginning to truly appreciate that. Will the president face criticism from uh, those on the right, uh, perhaps for seemingly giving in? 
A little, but not, I think, nearly what uh, some might expect. I agree with Jennifer. Uh, I don't think Nancy Pelosi is going to give in on the wall funding. I think we're going to go to a, a national emergency, and that's how it's going to get done. We, but I don't think it'll be shut down again. We, we talked about 2020 there on the show and, and promised more on the podcast. Uh, who's, who has momentum in the Democratic field right now? Who's, who do you see uh, on the list of candidates that, that early on is making waves? Honestly, I don't think anyone who's in the race right now has much, much momentum. I think there's a lot of folks out there testing the waters. But I do think that, you know, it's going to depend in large part on Donald Trump. 2020 is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump. And so we'll see who winds up getting the nomination. It actually may not matter. Um, and I disagree with Mike a little bit. I don't think we fall in love with our candidates. Um, I think we also fall in line. I think we saw that after Clinton Obama. I think we, we did a pretty good job of that. So I think it's going to be a referendum on Trump. And, and I don't think, I'm not sure that the person who's going to come out on top is even in the race yet. Hmm. So far away from, um, from Iowa, a year away. Well, it is a long way away. And I actually agree with Tony's um, observation. The two leaders right now are in their 80s. If you look at 2016, one of the disappointing thing was millennials did not vote. They talked a lot, they marched a lot, but they really did not vote. And so I think we, the swing could be you know, toward an older person, maybe not Biden or or. Uh, and I think Sanders. Joe Biden's in his late seventies, but could well, be yeah. over eighty. Yeah, how old is Donald Trump? Seventy-five. He'd be serving in his eighties if he's reelected. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. He would be the oldest. Either <clears> one would be the oldest president ever elected. Right. I think Jen was exactly right. I, I don't see any momentum in the Democrat Party, but I see a lot of interest. And I see here people starting to get excited. And you see on Facebook, oh, I like this person or that candidate X, Y, or Z. Um, but she's right. that The magic person might not yet have even entered the race. We talked about uh, Pete Buttigieg earlier, and I was joking with you earlier in this week about that poll, name ID. Yes. You've got higher statewide name ID right now. Then Pete Buttigieg is running for president. I did until this week, anyway. But you know, <laughs> should run for president. But actually, I mean, hell yes, it runs off, it rolls off the tongue. Her That's name what Mike ID tells me. is all based on her in-focus exposure. It could be. You Everybody, all have strong everybody. name ID yes, here Trump, in no, Indiana, I like it. right? Uh, Tony, uh, you know, I asked you earlier, any of those candidates uh, uh, frighten the Trump campaign? You, you said no, not at this point. I don't think because I, I think uh, they're just going to be fighting amongst each other so much. Um, there'll be that six-month period after the, uh, or less than that, after the nomination. Uh, but that dynamic seriously. produced Trump in the Republican primary in 2016. There were 16 candidates. True. Um, but Trump had a following, um, a strong following that was under the radar. And I don't right. see anybody on the Democrat side. The one person that I've always thought um, would um, be there at the end and maybe get the nomination is Eric Holder. I just think that in the end, Obama will come out. I think Biden doesn't do it. And I think Holder could be Obama's guy. Holder, That'll make a difference. Former attorney general. We'll see. Thank you all so much. We'll be back with more next week in Focus.